Welcome to the Beeson Podcast, coming to you from Beeson Divinity School on the campus of Samford University in Birmingham, Alabama. Now your host, Timothy George. Welcome to today's Beeson Podcast. This is the week of the month when we hear a great sermon, many of them preached at Beeson Divinity School, including this one by Dr. Carl Broughton. Dr. Broughton has been one of the leading theologians and teachers in the Lutheran Church really for the past half century. Uh, he continues to write and to speak prolifically and profoundly about the life of faith, about the life of the church. And the sermon we're going to hear today is about the church, it's about the Holy Spirit, it's about Christian unity. Dr. Smith, tell us a little bit about this sermon by Dr. Carl Broughton. You certainly summarized it very, very well. It is a highly pneumatological sermon, and it's easy to follow in that he is moving, he's using an integrating metaphor of the building of a house, the house being built, uh, the foundation for the house, Christ, who builds the house and the reasons for building it. He uses the concluding part of the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew seven twenty four mm-hmm. to 27, in talking about the significance of the foundation. Though it is hidden, it is absolutely important. And what is wonderful is for him to promote Trinitarian presence and say that the Holy Spirit uh, will not bypass Jesus, the Son, and go to the Father. No, the Holy Spirit will only broadcast what he has heard Christ say. So he's dealing with that filioque yeah. matter, that the Spirit and the Son both proceed from the Father. You know, a lot of theologians today conceive of their task in some ways as aloof from the church, exactly. abstract, speculative. One of the things I like about Carl Broughton, both his theology and the sermon we're going to hear, is the way he brings these together. He is a theologian of the church. And it's real clear when you listen to this sermon preached here at Beeson Divinity School, in one body, through the cross. Let's listen to Dr. Carl Broughton. What then is Apollos? What is Paul? Servants through whom you believed, as the Lord assigned to each. I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. He who plants and he who waters are one, and each will receive his wages according to his labor. For we are God's fellow workers. You are God's field, God's building. According to the grace of God given to me, like a skilled master builder, I laid a foundation, and someone else is building upon it. Let each one take care how he builds upon it. For no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid which is Jesus Christ. Now if anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each one's work will become, will become manifest, for the day will disclose it, because it will be revealed by fire, and the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. If the work that anyone has built upon, on the foundation survives, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved, but only as through fire. Do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in you? If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him. For God's temple is holy, and you are that temple. This is the word of the Lord. 
In addition to the passages already read, I want to read one more, 1 Corinthians 3.16. Do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in you? Dear friends, grace, mercy, and peace to you from God our Father and our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. In Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, the man who hears the words of the Lord and acts on them is like a man who digs deeply and builds his house on a rock. This morning, I want you to think with me about the house of God, about its foundation, about the one who builds the house, about its reason for being, and the, and the materials used to build the edifice. I have recently learned a few things about what goes into building a house. My son has become a builder of homes in the city of Chicago. I have watched him at work, first uh, driving around, looking for a lot, selecting it, digging the basement, laying the foundation, and then building the house, following the architect's plan. The New Testament says that's what the Spirit does in building the church the house of God. It is important that the house be built on a solid foundation. The foundation is invisible. What people see is the house, the facade, the design, and all the creature comforts. Now back to the Sermon on the Mount. What if the house should be built on sand? Before the floods came, it looked just as beautiful as the house built on a rock. You couldn't tell the difference from all outward appearances, but what a difference the foundation makes. The foundation is hidden, yet all important. My son hired a subcontractor to build the foundation. When the rains came, the basement was leaking all over the place. The contractor had cut corners and did not follow the plans just to put more money into his pocket. That happens a lot in Chicago, they tell me. But it is also happening in the churches of today in many places. Since the foundation is invisible, don't worry about it. People can't see it anyway. Give them what looks good to their eyes. In the Old Testament, the rock is the God of Israel. The grand confession of faith in the psalm rings out, the Lord is my rock and my salvation. Israel found itself between a rock and a hard place, learning with great difficulty that either this rock is her ultimate foundational support or it becomes a stone of stumbling. In the New Testament, the rock of Israel is no longer called by the mysterious name of Yahweh, but by the name of Jesus. Nathaniel addresses him, Rabbi, you are the Son of God, the King of Israel. And Paul says, for no one can lay any other foundation than the one that has been laid. That foundation is Jesus Christ. Thus, the rock of Israel is none other than Jesus Christ, the foundation of the church, against which not even the gates of hell 
can prevail. All those who believe and are baptized are supported by Jesus Christ the way a house is supported by its foundation. A person who finds his hope of salvation elsewhere is not a living stone in the household of God founded on Jesus Christ. The building materials of this house are all of us who are forgiven, regenerated, justified, and sanctified sinners through faith in Christ, rooted and grounded in him alone, living life as a continuous act of worship and witness. My friends, this foundation is not some imagined Jesus, not someone painted in the colors of our own emotions and wishes and needs. The church's one foundation is the whole Christ of the whole Bible. As Paul says, you are members of the household of God, built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets, with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. Now, if we take seriously the rock on which the church is based, preaching becomes a living and faithful commentary on Holy Scripture, not a religious discourse, not an expose of the pastor's brilliant ideas or touching experiences, not cute little stories to tickle the ears of the parishioners. The house of God has no other possibility of existence or subsistence than to lay claim again and again to this foundation, Jesus Christ, the eternal word of God, the word made flesh, alongside of which every other competing authority lures the church first into blasphemy, then into idolatry. It does not go without saying, and it could no longer be taken for granted, that the churches today in America and Europe are remaining true and faithful to the rock of ages. In the summertime, we live in a condo on Lake Geneva, Wisconsin. This last summer, a strange thing happened. The water main broke under the condo. The experts said that given the fact there was no basement, the condo was in danger of slipping and sliding off its foundation. Wow. I thought about the church. How today in church after church, denomination after denomination, we continue to read shocking stories of church officials and theologians even pushing the church off its foundation. Jesus used the figure of speech, how the sheep hear and heed the voice of the good shepherd and run away from the voice of strangers, those thieves and bandits who try to lead the sheep astray. What shall we do? It would be wrong to think that it is our job to build the house of God on the foundation of Jesus Christ. Who is the builder of the house of God? When Jesus died, there was no church. When Jesus was raised by the Father, there was no church. When Jesus was taken up into heaven to sit at the right hand of the Father, still no church. The scene is now ready, my friends. The scene is now ready for the descent of the Holy Spirit. The one God who was born from Mary's womb 
to be the foundation of the church descends a second time at Pentecost to give birth to the church of Jesus Christ. Imagine the apostles trying to build a church prior to Pentecost. Perhaps they might have succeeded in founding another Jewish sect, another religion perhaps, like a Joseph Smith, a Mary Baker Eddy, or a Charles Russell. They might have, might have founded a cult in honor of a dead hero. Despite having been disciples for three years, studying at the feet of Rabbi Jesus, they could not have built the church and presented Christ to the world as the foundation of a new and eternal community. Because flesh and blood, we, ourselves, cannot do this. Because the faith of the church is miraculously born of the Holy Spirit, beyond all human possibility. It is the Spirit who gave the apostles words to speak, and the listeners ears to hear the word of God. We wonder why God calls so many of us dumb people into the ministry. As Paul so humbly admits, not many of us are wise by human standards, not many powerful, not many of noble birth. Not much has changed down the centuries. We are fundamentally in the same situation. We are no more capable of maintaining the church than the apostles were in creating it. Only our incapacity is less apparent because we are swimming in Christianities of all sorts. No matter that the scandal here and there has been taken out of the gospel, no matter that the stumbling block has disappeared into the fog of religious pluralism, every one of our churches has its own tradition to be proud of each with a noble tradition that bears the brand name of its denominational founder or some distinguishing characteristic. But all of that means nothing. All the solemn assemblies, church-wide conventions, and new styles of ministry are nothing but vain activism without the ecstatic presence and blessing of the Holy Spirit. All our fondest traditions, nothing but dead letters, without the interior testimony of the Holy Spirit who builds the church, the church of Christ, on the rock. If God does not speak to us in the power of his spirit, our words are impotent. We cannot even make a decision for Christ on our own, except as the echo of the spirit working within us. The spirit's decision on our behalf, who makes us living stones in the household of God. It is impossible for the Spirit to build on another foundation than on Jesus Christ. No one can confess Jesus as Lord except by the power of the Holy Spirit. The Spirit does not bypass the Son. The Spirit does not put us into a direct relation to God the Father going over the head of Jesus Christ. It is time, perhaps, for us to reappropriate the Barman Confession for our time. Time to confess the one word of God, the unique foundation of the Church, and the only hope of salvation for us and for the world. You know about the famous quarrel between the East and the West over the Filioque, 
how the Spirit proceeds from the Father and the Son, that was interpolated into the Nicene Creed by the Latin Church. Apart from the politics of it all, there can be no question that any church that claims to be orthodox cannot seek to have access to the Father apart from the Son and will confess no other spirit than the one who builds the house of the Lord on the foundation of Jesus Christ. We were once dead stones, scattered and isolated. We were once languishing in the valley of dry bones into which the spirit has breathed new life. We are the building blocks, the construction materials, now living stones in the household of God. The stones are not all the same, not all the same size and shape, not put in the same place. They are not interchangeable. They're not dispensable. We are not necessarily the most beautiful stones in the whole building. We are not necessarily closer to the foundation than anyone else. But each one, each one is important. Each one counts. Each one has a special place because each one is put there by the master builder. It's like the body of which Paul speaks in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. If the whole body were an eye, where would the hearing be? If the whole body were hearing, where would the sense of smell be? But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them, as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many members, yet one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. Nor again, the head to the feet, I have no need of you. The point is, all of us who rest on the same foundation, all of us need each other. It is a shame, in my view, it is a scandal that many of our churches, even those that claim to be the most orthodox, act sometimes as though they need only themselves and wish, wish all the rest of us would go away. There are no second-class members in the household of God. Paul says, to each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. Do we dare to think that every member of our parishes has been given just a special place, as special a place in the house of the Lord as any one of the members of our own bodies? Which one of your members of your body would you will be willing to sacrifice. And what is it all for? What is the raison d'etre? What is the purpose, the real purpose of a truly purpose-driven church? The house is built on God, God the Son. The house is built by God, God the Holy Spirit. And in the third place, the house is built for God for the glory of God the Father. The house exists for the glory of the Father. That is its purpose, its destiny, its raison d'etre, its sole service. Well, is that really enough? Aren't there more important things for the church to accomplish? Are we still capable of believing with our fathers and mothers in the faith that the only thing that distinguishes the church from the world is its pursuit to glorify God the Father, to glorify God as God.
Apart from that, the world can match what the church does almost at every turn. The church exists for the glory of God. The house built on the rock of Israel by the Holy Spirit, that's all for the sake of the glory of God, which means remaining totally unpreoccupied with our own glory. The devil is always at work trying to make us replace the glory of God with the glory of the church itself, the glory of our own brand of Christianity. This people honors me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching human precepts as doctrines. Sounds like the contemporary church in many places. It's not easy to resist the temptation to seek glory for oneself, for one's own church, for one's own ministry, for one's own nation. God is on our side. Thank God. We are the good guys fighting the bad guys out there. Haven't we heard that from time to time in our nation's history and even today? A church that exists for the glory of God exists by this very fact before the world and for the world. It is a city built on a hill. It cannot be hid. Whoever invented this business about an invisible church? The church of the New Testament was very visible. An invisible church does not get persecuted. Invisible martyrs don't get thrown to the lions. A person who is not engaged in a visible church is not a living stone in the house of God and cannot live for the glory of the Father. The world needs a church that visibly renders glory to God and delivers it from all false glory. We must not separate existing for God and for the world. Just as we cannot separate the two commandments, the love of God and the love of our neighbors. In other words, the church cannot seek the glory of God the Father without pursuing the salvation of the world. For the two come to the same thing. God is glorified where people glorify him and call upon others to do the same thing. For the God of the church is the savior of the world and the king of kings. The church does not have its own private savior and Lord. So the church has a mission to erase the boundary between the church and the world so that the world might believe to the glory of God. That is the missionary attitude of the poor in spirit who seek the glory of God. Huge segments of the American church are in deep trouble, having given up on world mission and evangelization. They have made themselves ripe for re-evangelization. A church that does not evangelize has lost the gospel has lost its own soul. It is a church of the lapsi, the lapsed. It, is, it may be our church. 
it may be sad to say, my church. But thanks be to God. For he has promised that he will never give up on the church. God is still in charge. Let us not despair. Let us not lose hope. God is in Jesus Christ, the eternal foundation of the church, which we cannot shake. We can mess up the rooms in which we live, but we cannot shake the foundation on which the church is built. God, the Holy Spirit, is builder of the church and very much alive. God, our Father, is the eternal destiny and destination of the church. From him, by him, and for him, one God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, three persons, indissolubly one. What begins in God cannot but end in God, for he is the beginning and the end, the Alpha and the Omega. And so let us pray. Come, Holy Spirit, veni Spiritus Creator. Amen. And let all the congregations say, Amen. You've been listening to the Beeson Podcast with host Timothy George. You can subscribe to the Beeson Podcast at our website, BeesonDivinity.com. Beeson Divinity School is an interdenominational evangelical divinity school training men and women in the service of Jesus Christ. We pray that this podcast will aid and encourage your work, and we hope you will listen to each upcoming edition of the Beeson Podcast.